The Run by Arik Sundquist Samantha watched her father set the wire trap down on a tree stump. He reached inside the cage and pushed down the pressure plate until it locked in place, then pulled out a plump rabbit, its legs thumping against the wire mesh. He unsheathed his hunting knife and whacked the bone handle against its skull, then slid its neck. Blood drained. Hit him in the head first, he said. It stuns them so they don't move. You try. He motioned with the knife to the trap next to her. Samantha glanced at the other rabbit, suspended in a homemade snare. Her body went numb. She had no problem helping her father set up traps along the run, and she had no problem cooking and eating the meat afterwards. But she didn't want to kill anything. Her father had always made it a point to do that back home, out in the barn, not in front of her. Samantha stared up at the clear blue sky, at the shapes shifting into forest animals. Her fingers poked around in her pocket, and she clutched her lucky rock, a Petoskey stone. She loved how the fossilized coral patterns looked like seashells, except they were smooth to the touch. Sam, he asked, you hear me? She shrugged. Do I have to? Her father reset the trap and set it back down on the trail, placing lettuce leaves near the spring mechanism. He grabbed the remaining rabbit from the snare and forced the animal into her hands. You have to learn. Here, take my knife. Come back when you're done. He handed over the knife and sheath. Then he reset the snare by folding the sapling over and making sure the string was good and tight on the release. He stood and regarded her for a brief moment. She glimpsed sadness in his blue eyes, or maybe compassion, but she couldn't tell for sure. Then he hefted his backpack up on his shoulders and began his walk back home. Samantha followed the trail for close to a half hour, cradling the rabbit in one hand, the knife in the other. She arrived at her tree fort and rummaged through the bushes. Finding an old Coca-Cola crate, she banged the dirt off and placed the rabbit inside, then set her father's knife next to the base of the oak tree. She climbed up the steps and flung the trap door open, sending a cloud of dust into orbit. Her brother, Aiden, had built the tree fort many years ago before going to Iraq. It was her favorite place to go when she needed a place to get away. She quickly found her deck of cards sealed in a plastic bag, then shuffled herself a game of solitaire. She played slowly, dispassionately, her mind wandering, and only made it halfway through the game when a rustling came from the forest. Probably a deer heading down the run to get some apples from the orchards. Sneaking over to the window, she pried open the shutter and peeked outside, searching for movement, hoping to see a deer gliding through the woods like a ghost. Beneath the forest canopy, a figure darted from tree to tree. A boy, thin but muscular, wearing a blue baseball hat and a white t-shirt stained with sweat. Even from so far away, she could see flies swarming around his head like satellites. Hello? She said. 
He froze in his tracks and smiled sheepishly. You heard me? Oh shit, I wanted to surprise you. How's it going? Fine, I guess. What's your name? Sam. Sam? Like Samantha? Yep, but people just call me Sam. That's cool. He looked inside the crate. This your rabbit? He's nice. I guess. What are you doing out here? This is my dad's property. Sorry about that. I didn't know. Was just fishing down at the lake and I saw you walking by. Uh, you like to fish? No, not so much. I suppose you're one of those girls who likes dolls and stuff. She smiled, sensing his sarcasm. Nope. I just like being out in the woods. Never cared much for fishing. I see. You alone up there? Yep. He stepped closer and spoke quieter. I stole a pack of smokes from my uncle. He pulled out a pack of cigarettes, bright red, and opened them up, smelling the tobacco. You want one? You can have two if you want. I don't know. I never smoked before. Really? How old are you? Fourteen. You're old enough. I got some whiskey, too. He pulled out a bottle from his back pocket and swished the dark liquid around. The label was peeled off. Then he lit a cigarette with a lighter. We can have ourselves a little party. What do you say? No, that's okay. She watched the smoke curl around in gray threads. I gotta be getting home soon. You should stay. We can be friends. I, I, I don't know. He gave her a hurt look and stared down at his feet. I see. I bet you got a lot of friends at school and stuff. Not really. I'm homeschooled. Is that right? So you're probably a little weird, huh? He laughed at his joke, then bent down and grabbed up the rabbit, sticking his face in its fur. I bet you're nice and soft, like Mr. Bunny here. She was about to say something, but stopped. Okay, I'm gonna come up there now, he said, pitching his cigarette and stomping on the embers. He placed the rabbit back in the crate. I don't think that's a good idea. I just want to be alone. You don't have a choice, Sam. That's how life is sometimes, am I right? Things happen and you don't have a choice. Now I'm going to come up there. You won't like what I'm going to do, but there's nothing you can do to stop it. And if you tell anyone, I'll kill you. Her hands began shaking uncontrollably. She tried to calm herself, but couldn't. Go to hell she said under her breath. He shook his head slowly, as if scolding a young child. Then he walked closer and vanished underneath the tree fort. Samantha heard scraping against the tree and the sound of creaking wood. She grabbed the rope handle to the door, ready to slam it, and peered down in the hole. The boy climbing toward her looked much older than she had originally thought. Small wrinkles creased around his eyes, 
and when he glanced up and grinned at her, she noticed his teeth were turning black at the roots. The man suddenly reached out for her leg. Samantha threw the trap door down with a loud clatter. He ducked just in time. Then she moved the table over top the door, barricading herself inside. Son of a bitch, he said, striking the door with his fist. The table rocketed up and nearly tipped over, sending the playing cards fluttering like wounded doves. Then the pounding stopped. She leaned closer and heard him uncapping the liquor bottle, which seemed odd, followed by the sound of the bottle being dropped to the grass below. She crept even closer, her whole body tense, listening. Then she screamed. She tripped and fell on her back. By her feet, a knife blade jutted between the floorboards. Dark liquid covered the blade. Her foot throbbed. Blood pooled inside her shoe. A strange euphoria seized her, followed by a dull droning sound that made her feel lightheaded. She fought the urge to faint and lifted herself up on the window ledge, eyeing a branch a few feet away. It would be risky, but she had no other choice. She needed to get away. She took a deep breath and jumped. Samantha's hands connected with the branch. She hung limply, feet pumping the air. The second branch was directly below. She heard the man hit the door, and this time it cracked and boards clattered to the ground. Samantha let go and fell onto the branch below. But instead of stabilizing herself and wrapping her arms around the branch, her foot slipped and she twisted upside down. Then she was falling. You have to get up, a voice said. Samantha opened her eyes to a clear blue sky. She had trouble breathing and coughed in spasms. She tried to stand but fell back down. A figure shifted into view next to her, billowing in a haze of incandescence. The shape coalesced into the form of her brother, dressed in his military uniform. He knelt down beside her. You have to hide until the sickness passes. What? She said, coughing. What sickness? That's how he kills. He covered Dad's knife in poison. She tried to stand again, but couldn't find the strength. Are you home now? She asked. The blood in her mouth tasted vile, metallic, and sharp. Does Dad know you're home? Yes, he knows. He wants you to learn about death, not hide from it. I don't want to learn. I want you to be safe with us. Light spread across her vision, imprinting images, sending her mind spiraling inward. She smelled cleaning chemicals and flowers, and saw a mass of people staring at her brother's casket. She stumbled through the crowd and touched his hand and tried to help him out. And then she heard crying from all around and hid under a table and pulled at a loose thread on her dress until the seam unraveled. She saw her father hugging her aunt, and then he crawled under the table and held her tight. 
He held her for a long time and didn't say anything. Samantha fought against the memories, retaliated against the visions. They finally receded, and she was in the woods again, breathing the humid air, inhaling the scent of pine trees. Aiden was dead, she told herself, for the first time in months. She repeated it like a mantra and broke down into tears. He was already home, buried in the local cemetery. She heard swearing from high above and saw the man stick his head out of the window. Her vision swirled and danced and became distorted. And then she saw the man change before her eyes. His face smeared like a painting melting in a tropical sun. His eyes drooped and became dark ovals, similar to a rotting jack-o'-lantern left out on a November porch. His teeth grew long and jagged, and smoke jettisoned from his ears in smokestack spurts. He wasn't human anymore. He was some sort of monster. Then he put a finger to his lips, motioning silence, and slipped down the ladder. His unclasped belt buckle slapped each step while he descended. Her brother gripped her arm, helped her sit up. Run, he said. Somehow, Samantha found the strength to stand, and then she was running. The woods became one long blur of melted branches and leaves. Her head swam through the trees, and she drank up the bees and the dragonflies. She could hear footsteps behind her and labored breathing. Then she couldn't run anymore. She knew something was wrong with her foot, but couldn't figure out what. I can see you, the man shouted. She glanced back. He followed slowly, mechanically, yanking a drawstring attached to his back, similar to a child's toy. The sound of a motor revved and his head flipped open. His band saw teeth began tearing through the underbrush like a chainsaw, spewing out bark and sawdust. Everything was caught in his path. The leaves, the branches, even the deer and the mice. Entrails spewed into the heavens. There's nowhere to run, my little rabbit, he said. Samantha knew her only chance was to lose him in the woods. She darted off the trail and swiped at the ferns blocking her way. The pulpy stalks tore at her skin and cut her palms to shreds. Then the ferns smacked her back with the open palms, swearing in some strange swooshing language that sounded like hushed rattles. She told them she was sorry and kept running. She didn't know how long she ran. Time didn't add up right in her head. She pushed through a thicket of tangled poplars and lost her footing. The world tumbled, and she was falling against a large pine tree out of breath. Her head hit the ground, but it was only a glancing blow. Fireflies dotted her vision and then vanished in flashes of light. At first, she thought about climbing a tree, but she could barely stand up straight. When she closed her eyes, 
The darkness exploded with pinholes of light and expanded and contracted like an accordion. She held her eyes open with her fingers, afraid to close them again, and listened to the wind become one with the forest sounds. All the rustling trees and ferns and the sounds of the squirrels scampering high above. Everything mixed together to form a symphony. She tried to stand, but pain rocketed through her leg. She unlaced her shoe and wrenched it off, peeling away the sock. The wound was in the arch of her foot. When she touched it, red spilled out in a torrent. She turned to the closest tree. I need some of your blood. The ancient tree creaked and groaned and finally awakened, spreading its branches wide and revealing a beating heart formed out of huge knots. She crept closer and punctured its dark skin with her fingernail. Clear blood squirted over her fingertips in an arterial spray. She fell back down and applied the pine blood to her foot, and the pain shocked her to her core, traveled all the way up her thighs and into the pit of her stomach, clenching down tight. She vomited, but not much came up. Then the pain subsided, and she applied more of the blood and could feel it harden, sticking her wound together like glue. She waited until her breathing calmed, then checked her foot again. It still hurt a little, but she could deal with that, as long as she didn't lose any more blood. Finally, she slipped on her shoe and forced herself up. She felt strange, like an autumn leaf ready to be swept up by the wind. Samantha continued onward through the woods for close to an hour, although she wasn't exactly sure. She walked as quietly as possible checking her foot occasionally to make sure the wound had been sealed properly. Soon, the forest thinned, and she saw musical notes hovering over the trees. She knew how to read music and often played the piano at home. But the notes in the sky didn't make any sense to her. They were haphazard and had no sense of rhythm. Then, the notes hopped up and down the clefts, and she realized she was staring at power lines. The notes were birds perched on the wires. A memory surfaced of her walking with Aiden down the lines and through the looping countryside to the Escanaba River. She remembered picking dandelions and putting some in her hair, and then he told her to feel one of the telephone poles with her hands, and she did, and the electrical current buzzed from deep within, as if it were alive and breathing. And then something pulled her out of her reverie, the sound of a motor growing nearer. The telephone poles acted like beacons, guiding Samantha through the open countryside. She counted each pole as she passed, one at a time, and once she reached number 12, stopped for a quick breather. Although the world still shifted and tumbled around her, her vision was beginning to clear, and she could finally think more logically. The drug was finally wearing off. She ran past two more poles and realized her foot was getting worse. At first, the pain was distant, 
but now it began throbbing and sending paralyzing jolts through her body with each step. The drug must have been keeping the pain at bay. There you are, a voice shouted. The man crashed out of the woods a hundred feet behind her. He was no longer full of revolving saw blades and smokestacks and rumbling motors. Now he looked like some sort of sickly demon, hunched over, eyes bright as coals, and a mouth full of splinters and dried blood. An orange leaf stuck to his hat and looked like a feather. It reminded her of the kind of hat Robin Hood wore. She pointed and laughed. His smile, so full of evil and malice, fell to barely a sneer. He reached up and plucked off the leaf, crushing it into a pulp in his hand, letting the remains flutter away in the wind. Then he was running toward her. She kept her distance, at least one pole between the two of them at all times. Occasionally, he stopped to catch his breath, wheezing and coughing and shouting obscenities. She used that time to massage her foot and catch her breath and form a plan. After the seventeenth pole, she decided to take a chance and slip away. She had no idea where the power lines eventually led, but from what she remembered, her house was a straight shot through the woods from her current position. She had to act now. She waited until he stopped to catch his breath, then crouched down low in the grass and headed straight into the woods. She moved through the underbrush cautiously and within minutes arrived at her father's deer run. Her legs were dead tired and her lungs clenched tight, forcing her to stop. Although the drug was wearing off, she could still feel the effects clouding her mind. A dull ache tapped at her temples with each heartbeat. She ran until she couldn't run anymore, halting near a sharp bend in the trail. The woods swayed as if she were traveling through an aquarium. The wind kicked up and sounded like a mechanical bubbler purring softly from the heavens. She recognized her position and a glint of hope grew inside her. This was one of her favorite spots to set snares while her dad hunted for deer. Usually, rabbits hugged the corners and skirted beside fallen logs and thick bushes. Those were the best spots to put down traps, creating a natural bottleneck. Come on out, the man said from the woods. I was just kidding before. Her heart dropped. She felt like crying, like beating her fists in rage. Instead, she calmed herself and thought about her options. She could barely move, could barely even remain standing, and she was on the verge of passing out. Her only option was to hide. She hobbled off the trail and stumbled through tangled trees and bushes. She pushed a thick branch out of the way, and it sprung back and slapped her in the lip, almost knocking her out. All around, the trees and the ferns laughed in their strange language. They were all mocking her. Shut up, she said to the forest, dabbing at the blood on her lip with her sleeve. And then she couldn't stand anymore. She collapsed to the ground. Samantha broke down and cried. 
She felt like she had disappointed her brother, who was always so strong, always so confident. She pulled out the tumbled stone from her pocket and held it in her palm. The rock was the last thing Aiden had ever given her, a present from a fossil shop in Traverse City. She wanted to be like him more than anything. Even in his casket, wearing his uniform, he looked so regal, like he could rise up and command troops from beyond the grave. She closed her eyes and clenched the rock in her fist and fought to gain control. You can't run anymore, a voice said. You have to fight back. It was her voice this time. Something happened to her at that moment. It felt as if some unseen force took control of her body, possessing her in steady waves, fueling her, channeling her with inner strength to fight against her own annihilation. She felt like a marionette controlled by invisible strings. She felt strong. Samantha stood and wrenched off her sweatshirt and unbuttoned her flannel, throwing them both off to the side. Taking a deep breath to calm her nerves, she took aim at the nearest tree and pitched the rock as hard as she could. It struck with a loud crack. On the trail, the man stopped dead in his tracks. Then he darted off into the woods following the sound, swiping at the bushes with a knife and trampling the ferns like an enraged boar. He saw her and stopped. His eyes still glowed like burning embers, and he looked her up and down, noticing her exposed skin. Then he tore off his belt and rushed her. Samantha wrenched back the branch that had almost knocked her out minutes before. The tension caused her arms to tremble and shudder. She released her hold. At first, she thought her trap had failed, but a muffled cry erupted, and the man twitched on the ground, clutching his face, blood funneling between his fingers and staining his shirt dark crimson. Her father's knife fell to the ground beside him. She didn't hesitate for a second. She jumped forward and struck with her knee. His nose crunched from the impact, and her momentum sent her tumbling forward on top of him. He reached up and tried to throw her off, but she batted his hands away, then planted her knees to his chest, pinning him to the ground. He continued struggling, but was too weak to do much of anything. Finally, he gave up and stared up at her with those strange eyes, face smeared with blood. A smile spread over his lips, a toying smile, as if saying he still won the fight. All around, the ferns laughed. Some even clapped. You have to hit him in the head first, she said, mimicking her father from earlier that morning. His face slipped from amusement to confusion. Then she picked up her father's knife.